you need to take the pressure off of your muse. You've been putting too much pressure on your muse and you need to decide or tell yourself, really give yourself permission to say, it's okay if I decide not to make this my living for the rest of my life. And that was such a freeing thought. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Brie Noble, and you are listening to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we help you learn to make great music, to grow your audience, and to have a real business. If you are interested in taking your music more seriously, treating it more like a business so you can actually bring in income and keep doing what you're doing and not be able to just do it as a hobby and not have enough money to keep your music going, but actually either continue making great projects as a musician, or actually have a full-time music career. That's what we're about on this show. And I've got somebody on the show today who can really help you with that. She's been a DIYer from the beginning, and she's got some really great tips on what to do when you get started and how to level up your game as you move further and further along in your music career. But first, remember to get your iTunes reviews in. Also, if you want to subscribe to this show, then it will be delivered directly to your iTunes account or your podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll be getting it directly every single Friday morning so you don't have to remember to go find it every week. And with the iTunes reviews, for everybody that gives us an iTunes review, you'll be entered into a drawing at the beginning of each month to give away one month of the Female Musician Academy. So pretty cool prize. Get your reviews in. If you need help figuring out how to do an iTunes review, just send me an email at brie at femusician.com and I'll send you the instructions. And now to our interview with Miss Katie Laurel. Here is some information about her. Roots pop songstress Katie Laurel spins hopeful, romantic, introspective songs about our common humanity. Her sound is reminiscent of an imaginary time and space where Natalie Merchant, Fiona Apple, and Emmylou Harris formed a band and wrote songs together. Here's my interview with Katie Laurel. So that's a little bit about Katie Laurel. Katie, is there anything that's not in your little bio that you'd like to tell our audience that's maybe a little more personal about you? Sure. I um, So I grew up in, in the Colorado mountains, and I love the outdoors, flowers, and long walks. Mm, that's, <laughs> that's a that sounds like a, a dating site. Um. Exactly. Yeah. I said, they can tell, tell you a little bit more about me. That's, that's a little bit what I, what I love, like quiet sort of solitude, beauty, nature. Um, yeah, that's a little bit who I am. I definitely identify with that. I live uh, about 20 minutes from Yosemite national park. So Amazing. I get to experience that too. I haven't been there, but it's on my bucket list. Definitely on your book. I mean, you get a lot of that in Colorado, but it's just a, a little bit different. Just wait until we have more water. Yes, I and will. Then come. I won't come drink up any of the water. That's there. There's like, well, no, it's <laughs> just like there's no water in the falls. So like oh. all the really breathtaking things are not here right now. Is there usually uh, water in the falls in the fall? 
pardon the pun. The but best, the, the best time is the spring. Okay. Like, like um, usually April, May. Awesome. Even June. Best time to come. Very cool. Thanks for the tip. Oh, sure. So how did you get started in music? I like to say that, I, I mean, I grew up around music, obviously. My, my folks listened to bluegrass and played records and did all that kind of thing, even played some live instruments. But I think that I really got started in music when we went to a party when I was about five or six, and a family friend was playing uh, an arrangement of Summertime from Porgy and Bess on the piano, and I was hooked. I was like, I want to do that. And so I, I basically begged to take piano lessons, and I took piano lessons from her for a few years. And uh, I went to a really small school, so I ended up going into the school band program and played French horn because that's what my mom had played growing up. And I don't know, I just wanted to play that. Plus, I didn't have to buy one because the school had one. And then I started playing guitar. Um, a little later, I, I received a gift around the age of 16 or 17, and I started playing guitar. So that's how I, how I got started. Wow. So is your main instrument one of those or all of those now? I don't play French horn anymore, although I have my degree in classical French horn. <laughs> so wow. it's kind of funny because I would say that's the instrument I took the furthest, but I don't, um, I don't even have one at this point. I ended up selling it so I could buy my MacBook and Pro Tools and start writing and recording records. Um, I, I made kind of a, a little bit of a switch there. But I would say that my main instrument, my main writing instrument at this point is guitar, although I am definitely a better piano player. Does that make sense? Mm. That <laughs> totally makes sense. Yeah, it, I think singer-songwriter, a lot of times we tend to gravitate toward the guitar, and I just love the sound of the guitar. But, you know, for me, piano is my main instrument, too. So I, I get where you're coming from. I, I wish I played guitar better. But I'm just not, I don't know, I could never build up the calluses. I totally hear you. I, I don't <laughs> think my brain comprehends guitar. Uh, if you come from a linear, or not a linear instrument, but like a, an instrument like keyboard where you can see it all, I never quite made the switch with how the strings are set up. So I can't play lead, I can only play rhythm. It's kind of sad. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Because when I try to play worship music, I can't think like guitarists do. And so it's just, it doesn't come out right on the piano sometimes. <laughs> are you a full-time musician right now? Are you, do you consider yourself full-time? Are you supplementing your income in some way with some part-time gig or maybe something totally unrelated to music or is it your full-time thing? I definitely, so this is, this is how I say it. When you say, do you consider yourself a full-time or part-time musician? I say, I consider myself full-time with a part-time income. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so I still do a lot of other things to kind of, to, to make money as well. I'd say music is probably half, it's probably half to two thirds of my income. And then the other side of it, I do marketing, spokesmodeling, trade show work, acting and video production. So those wow. are some of the things. And when I say video production, I've just worked with my husband in video production, doing whether audio recording or, or production assistance, I'm not like shooting videos or anything. But yeah, it's it's all kind of entertainment or marketing related, but I do a lot of freelance work. Mm, yeah, I think a lot of musicians, you know, supplement with, I, I know musicians that have a, like an Airbnb and they supplement with that or they I, drive for Uber, you know. Oh yeah, totally. And actually one of the other things I just started doing is um, I've started taking a few very select people on as coaching clients. So I've been coaching some music business for developing artists. So that's been kind of a new thing this year. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't even know that. 
yeah, it's kind of under the radar. I don't really like advertise ah. it. I just, I've like invited a certain group of people. And out of that group of people, like 10, I've been working with 10 people. So it's, yeah, it's a little bit off the cuff, but I really, That's- I really love that. Cause it's really something I feel like I'm good at and I really enjoy helping people kind of fill in the gaps and see them like the light bulb go on and then make some changes that results in, you know, royalty checks or something that's rewarding for them in the nature of, of the business side of their music. That that's great. Well, I, I totally get that. Cause that's what I do as well. So, um, that's awesome that you're doing that for women perspective and artists that's currently working. That's great. We have a lot of struggling people, struggling musicians listening to this show and, you know, maybe they're feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm banging my head against the wall. Do you have any in stories that might encourage them of things that you went through early on in your career where you just maybe felt like you wanted to give up, but you didn't? And, you know, what did you learn pushing through that and how that can help them get through what they're going through right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I wish I could say the struggle ends. <laughs> I think every artist that I talk to says that same thing. Like, Oh, what do you mean in my early career? Like it's still going on. Right. But you still, you kind of grow to encompass wherever it is that you're at and you can, you can handle the, the doubts more or you, maybe the doubt lasts a shorter amount of time. I actually just went through a really dark season last March. I was really depressed about it and kind of, you know, I'm 34 and am I where I wanted to be? Is this something that's going to work? Do I need to come up with a plan B? I had all that very recently. And and I actually found a lot of solace in talking with sort of a personal life coach who happens to coach artists and musicians. And she basically gave me, I'm kind of going off on a rabbit trail, but I think it will help some people. She gave me um, this statement, which was, you, you need to take the pressure off of your muse. You've been putting too much pressure on your muse and you need to decide or tell yourself, really give yourself permission to say, it's okay if I decide not to make this my living for the rest of my life. And that was such a freeing thought to realize that, you know, I can, I can do something else and it's not going to be the end of my life, the end of the world. I can still be a musician, enjoy music without putting, putting so much pressure on my muse to be my living. And while I still came out of that time period and I'm still gung ho and pushing forward with my career, it was very freeing to hear that she had coached other people, some of them which continued on with music and were happy, and some of which were who decided to do something totally different. One guy went and got his real estate license, and he's happy making doing real estate and and still making music, but not in a way that is putting so much pressure on it. So for me, it was just really nice to hear stories of other people who had kind of made it through this funnel, and there wasn't a bad choice. It wasn't like there's a right choice or a wrong choice. It's just that you could still choose to do music. And it didn't have to mean exactly what you thought it meant. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not oh, being clear. That makes, that makes total but sense. But she was so helpful to me. And thinking back to an earlier time, because that's obviously very recent, um, I just want to encourage people that no matter where you're at, even if it seems like you're being successful, a lot of us are still struggling. Um, <laughs> I was thinking back to when I first started out. And um, it, we're in a tricky business, I think, because society sets a lot of ideals for what is considered success. And it's easy to feel like you're not achieving enough to be considered legitimate if your art is not commercialized or it's not making enough money or whatever. And so you you struggle with that. There's a duality and art and commerce are not necessarily the best bedmates sometimes. 
But I'm thinking back to when I first started and, and a friend of mine at the time took me out to visit some of the kind of nice smaller clubs in Denver. And I was still just starting to play coffee shops. I was nervous to be in front of people. I had this idea in my mind, like, that's way beyond me. Like, I'm never going to be playing there. And it seemed super out of reach at the time. But somehow you grow as an artist to encompass whatever the, the right step is for you. And eventually, a couple of years later, I was playing that very place. And so you don't know just because your mind can't foresee something or it seems out of reach, it doesn't mean that you're not going to grow to encompass that space and be able to actually, um, you know, be, be able to fill that role, you know? Yeah. I think that that's really encouraging. I mean, I'm, I was kind of that way, um, with playing the piano and singing at the same time. Oh, like, yeah. I just never thought I could do it. I hear you. Because I, I'd never done it before. I'd learned piano. I played only piano by itself. And I'd sung and done that only by itself. And when I realized I really needed to get out there and not have to rely on a band, I needed to be my own self-encompassed thing. So I didn't have to have all these other people and organize and pay them and all that. It was so stressful. I thought there's no way I can ever sing and play at the same time. And then like, Within three months, I made myself go out there and do it. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what you can do when you push yourself. And then, you know, now it's like, oh, not a big deal at all. Yeah, I totally understand. I can completely relate to that story because that, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. On that one. So that's encouraging to you guys. If you think you can't do it, I mean, just even don't try to like visualize yourself doing it. Cause that might be intimidating. Just start, yeah, just start, start trying to do it. Start yeah. Somewhere. And, and now I look at it and I look back and I think, well, now I've played in front of crowds of a couple thousand people. And I, if, if you told me back when I was learning to play and I tried to play Blackbird on the guitar in front of like five people in a coffee shop and I was petrified, like, I mean, adrenaline, the whole nine yards. If you would have told me that 10 years later, I would have been able to do some of the things. And it's not that I've done huge things, but those things are things that I probably wouldn't have foreseen myself being able to do it in that moment back then. For sure. Now I know that you, you've always been a DIY musician. You never, you know, were on a label and you didn't really try to get on a label or try to, you know, kind of find these decision makers in the music industry, which I really respect you know, how did you start out that way? Because I think I see a lot of artists that come to me with women of substance and they just, their goal is to get a label. Their goal is to get someone in the industry to work with them. And I think sometimes that hampers them because they're not moving forward because they're just waiting. Yeah. So how did you kind of just start out and, and learn what to do from the beginning? Well, first of all, I didn't know anything about this business at all. And I was just gung-ho enough and naive enough to think that I could just make a record. And, and, you know, I was listening to people like Damien Rice in college and people that had recorded their thing at home. And so I saw that as a model of something you could do over the Ryan also has done some things like that. And there, there are a couple bands that I've admired musically. And I guess I just not knowing anything else and being from a really small town and knowing nothing about the industry, I thought, I'm just going to make a record. Like, what do I have to lose? It's not going to cost me that much money to just make my record. Was my record good? Not really. I mean, I just basically jumped off a cliff and dove in and figured out how to do what I could do with it. And does it sound good? I would look back now and say no. But at the same time, 
that was just always the spirit of what I was doing was I'm going to write the songs and then there's no one else around here to record them for me. And I don't know anybody and I don't have any money to do that. So I just didn't let it stop me. And it was some place to start. And now I would prefer not to record my own records because there's people that can do it so, so, so much better than I can. Um, but I think that that just not knowing anything and having to start from somewhere and and read books or I've wrote, I met mentors along the way who kind of like told me, you need to read this book or you need to meet this person or I, I wouldn't be anywhere without the people I met along the way. That is for sure. But I never I never guess the label road was really for me because first of all, I didn't really have, I think, what most of them were seeking as a musician. Um, and second of all, I think I'm just pretty independent in that I wanted to write what I wanted to write and, and do it that way. Um, and it's taking a little longer to, to figure out my sound and kind of say what I want to say. And so that's, you know, I'm 10 years, 12 years into my career now, but I feel like I, I feel very happy that I get to make the choices and be the person who writes the songs and, and decides what to record and kind of my fans have come behind me and sort of helped support me in that endeavor. So I like that about it. Yeah. There's so much freedom in that. I, I've heard from so many people where they got on a label and they said, well, your first album, you have to record what all the label people want you to record and you don't get to really choose. And then if your album does well, then maybe by the second album, you can have some input. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I would have just been so frustrated by that point. Oh, definitely. That wasn't for you me. Know? That wasn't for me. I got in this to write songs and that's really what I wanted to do. Were they all good songs? No. I mean, I think I've probably written 300 bad songs and like 30 good songs. <laughs> mm. you know? Yeah. That Sorry. percentage sounds about right. Yeah. It's the deal. Right. Um, right. I, I think too, that being DIY gives you a, an approach of problem solving and tenacity that you wouldn't develop otherwise. And but you, at the same time, the flip side of that is no one's going to work harder for you than you are. You have to do those things. And you might have to be the person that tests out a new technology or a new social media or adopt a new technique or try crowdfunding. I mean, I was one of the first musicians in Denver to successfully run a Kickstarter campaign. And that, you know, became a press story because I did something before other people did. And I'm I don't, I wouldn't say I'm very brave. I'm not a person who usually likes to try the new things before everybody else. I just kind of stumbled on them sometimes. Mm. That's, that's really cool. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but I found your music originally on noise trade is where I found you. Awesome. I love and um, I was curious how putting your music on noise trade helped you grow your fan base. Do you think that that was really instrumental um, I know some p musicians are afraid to like put their music out there for free because they feel like I've worked so hard on this. I want people to pay for it. I'm a big proponent of it because I think if you don't, people probably won't hear you at all. Absolutely. But I'd love to hear your take on it. Yes. First of all, I love noise trade. In fact, back before noise trade existed, I was a Derek Webb fan. And uh -huh. so I watched him do his Mockingbird release where it used to be that he would send it out. And then if you sent the free download to five of your friends email addresses that like it was an email address sharing thing it was quite primitive compared to today's social sharing but the concept was there and that's when where it came out of and i think that sharing free music is instrumental to building a fan base because you have to look at your first product or even 
you know, a song here and there throughout your career as, as a business card of sorts. And if you don't, if you aren't willing to give away something in a marketing capacity, I mean, this is my marketing side speaking, cause I've done so many promotional campaigns and events for other brands. And I watch other brands give things away for free because you're not going to get someone to eat your yogurt or buy it at the store. If they don't get to, a chance to try it for free, that's just the way it is. Like they're not going to go to the store and see the new flavor of yogurt and go, I want to try that. They're going to buy the old yogurt that they already know they like. Um, so that I think is why it's so important to have a free download in exchange for somebody signing up to hear about what you're doing. I would say noise trade is an awesome way to do it. I use it all the time. I send it to blogs because it's a widget you can send out to people. So that way, if, if someone writes about your music and you offer a free download to people's readers, it's a great way to make connections and offer some value to bloggers. Um, and I think that if you do, obviously I have done a couple of of features with them as well. They have a huge network of music lovers at Noise Trade and these people love music and that's why they're the why they've subscribed to Noise Trade and they're mavens of music. If you do a feature with them, even a small percentage of those people, those 900,000 people or whatever it is, even if you have a tiny percentage, you'll probably have a really significant addition to your of subscribers to your list. So that's why I love and highly recommend Noise Trade. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I love their platform. Like everything is right there. I can find all these, everybody's social media stuff. They've got your, their video. It's just like a lovely experience mm -hmm. to use noise trade. Yeah. In my, in, in at least so far for me. So you talked a little bit earlier about a mentor that you had. Can you expand on what you've learned from you know some of the mentors that you've had and why it's important to have a mentor because I'm a big proponent of this because I think we can cut down our learning curve so much like why should we spend the time figuring stuff out when someone else has already done it and they can they can help us along the way yes so just you know give our artists like a little plug for why they should find yes mentors. I wish that I would have earlier and I had different mentors in different capacities throughout the years even back to college professors, uh, one of my favorite college professors. In fact, I just had an email from her today. Uh, her name is was Dr. Marlene Schleifer, and she was the director of the Wind Ensemble where I went to school and also kind of taught some, some other um, more like spiritual looks into music because I went to a Christian school. And I what I learned from her was about loving music for music's sake, but also creating creating great art for God. And that is something that's important with my belief system. So I still, I won't say I revere her, but I respect her very much for passing forward her uh, respect and love for music and instilling that in students that she touched along the way. Another early mentor was, was uh, the guy that helped me record my first record. And he took me under his wing. His name is Paul Andrews and spent an inordinate amount of time showing me the ropes and kind of helping me get comfortable in a studio setting, which was something that I hadn't really done. I had only done things at home on my own time frame, And, and he, he just, he was so gracious with his time and his, his materials and his studio. And he, plus he was just a great friend who also had the same purpose and goal in art and music. And then now, of course, I mentioned to you earlier, Carrie Cole, I took a couple courses with her and I think she's a fantastic coach for artists uh, wherever they're at in their journey, especially, especially just starting out and kind of learning the nuts and bolts about things. Plus she's a voice teacher. So she has, she has a lot of aspects to add to, to coaching. I, I only wish that I would have actually found a coach that could teach me about music business earlier, 
but the online coaching and classes and stuff didn't really exist back when I was starting. So it's like a new thing mm. that people can just sign up with a coach and take a course and do all that. Um, had I done that maybe seven years earlier, I probably would be somewhere else, hopefully now. And today, somebody who I'm really, really fortunate for is my producer <clears throat> and license, and he's also got a licensing company now. Uh, Warren Hewer and I had just did my last record with him in LA, but he gave me a lot of confidence by believing enough in what I'm doing to invest his time and talent and invite me into his team and his circle. And he's somebody who's worked with a lot of great people. So I feel very, very fortunate and very um, just humbled to, and grateful to be able to work with him. Mm, wow. Well, you've definitely had some really diverse and really powerful mentors. That, that's great. I hope that all the artists listening have really taken that in and taken that to heart and found a mentor that's right for you. I mean, like she said, there's a lot of people doing music coaching. You know, there's Carrie Cole. You know, I have my Female Musician Academy. There's um, Cheryl B. Engelhart, who I've mentioned before um, on this pod, who she actually been on this podcast before. Um, she does a kind of a, a MX4 course for branding musicians. And there's just a lot of great people out there that are, have the information that you need and can help you. So I'm just doing a quick little plug for mentors there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I said, if but, there's something I could do different, cause you have a question in this interview too, about what I could go back and do differently. And that was the one thing I would have found a coach sooner and learned mm -hmm. more quicker. I would have not waited so long to do that. That's great. I didn't have to ask the question. All right. <laughs> so good. So what is the most mind blowing experience that you've had? Like where you've been, Oh my gosh, pinch me. I can't believe that I'm here doing this right now. I had to think hard about this because I'm not sure I've had any totally mind blowing experiences just because I feel like, like I mentioned earlier, you grow to encompass whatever space you're at and it all becomes kind of like, Oh, I'm ready for this. But I would say that I thought it was pretty cool when I got to open for Howie day at the Fox theater in Boulder, because he was someone that I'd listened to for years when I was first getting started, um, in college and after college and to be just hanging out in the green room with him before the show. And he was sick. So I like made him a tea and we were drinking tea. Oh. his keyboard player was like doing some weird yoga. And it was just a moment where you're like, wow, this is really just happening. I'm just like hanging out with these people that I used to, that I think were, you know, unreachable in a way. But that's when it all starts to occur to you that we're all just people, but it's cool when someone you admired almost becomes a peer, like you get to occupy a different circle. And that, I think that's often how this business works. You just start occupying a different circle. It's like a circle opens up and now you're in a new circle. Yeah, that is so true. I've experienced that recently um, just with some music business people that I was always like, you know, wow, they're doing such great things. And then I start talking to them and they're like, oh yeah, you're doing great things too. And you know, they're like talking to me like a peer and I'm like, I guess maybe I am a peer now. Isn't that crazy? You know? Oh. Yeah. It's awesome. I, love I it. wouldn't say I'm, I'm on par with, with Howie or like a peer of him, but it was neat to just. But you were that. for that night. Yeah. I think. And have, you and know? have him tweet, like he tweeted something about like how great our set was or something. And I'm like, oh, that's so neat. That's so cool. You know? that to, to have like a mutual respect with somebody like that. That's awesome. So I want to hear about your most recent project. What do you have going on right now? Or what have you released recently that you can tell our listeners about? Yeah. So my, my most recent project 
was actually a remix collaboration of the last full length record I did. I don't know why I decided to do this, but um, I just decided to do something completely different and make some friends in some different circles. And it was really cool how it all came together. I found all these people. Some people came from SoundCloud. Some people came from my mailing list. Um, basically, I ended up with like 22 remixes from like three or four tracks off the record. And and then I think I did it. Once I started, I, I was like, what is my purpose? Creatively, I wanted to experience something, experience something entirely new and different than the style I was comfortable with. I made new friends and creative contacts in a different world that I didn't really operate in. And then we all found new fans by cross-promoting it in different markets and musical spheres with each other's collaboration. And then business-wise, mm. I wanted to do it because I thought it would be a smart move to create more content for licensing with material I already had. So it had kind of a fourfold effect. And I think that while it was probably not something that most of my fans were interested in, I think it was a good step for me as an artist to do something totally outside of what I was comfortable with. Oh, that, yeah, that's really smart from a licensing perspective because, you know, sometimes just the style of the, the that you did the song in is not going to work for whatever the licensing opportunity is. But if it was more of an electronica style or, a, mm -hmm. you know, just however it was remixed, but it was still the same content of the song, it might appeal to them. I Wow, it's, that's a really interesting business move. Yeah, it was just something different. And so far, there's a couple of little licensing streams that are that the money's coming in. And I think what little tiny I had, I tried to make it a very, very small uh, cost up front, like almost everybody was doing it for free. And then we're just splitting what we mm -hmm. make, which is awesome. Um, so we're actually in the black now. So I'll be able to start paying some people on things, which is great. That's really hey. cool. So speaking of streams of income, what would you say, like, how does your breakdown work as far as the streams of income? Because a lot of artists are asking me, you know, what other ways can I make money with my music other than just selling CDs and playing shows? Yeah. So I'd love to hear kind of like the percentages of how you make your money. Yes. So that's, that's a really good question because I do see a lot of artists, especially local artists get caught in this picture or idea that it's about shows and touring and CDs. And that's, that's what it is. Like that's what your business is. But there's so much more than that. There's there are a lot of things that you can do. You can be a session musician, you can teach lessons, you can license your stuff to a variety of different opportunities. You can do crowdfunding pre-orders to get money up front to record. I mean, these are all areas that I've kind of drawn from to keep myself afloat. And it's tight most of the time. And it's not like there's ever really extra stuff going. I mean, if there was extra money, I wouldn't be doing the other jobs. So that's obviously a given. But I think it really depends from year to year. And, and anytime I get like a royalty payment or a licensing check, it's almost entirely unexpected. So I wouldn't say it's something I can count on and be like, oh, licensing is X percentage of my career because it varies from year to year. One year, it was like a third of my money. And then last year, there was like very little. So it just depends on the cycle of when things get get licensed. And but but I would say that's a very important stream to focus on on promoting your music to if your music is ready, if it's broadcast ready and it's it's a style that's gonna work for that. Licensing is a huge focus for me. And that's what I'm continuing to try to to grow and build. And I recently have signed a deal, so that's hopefully going to work 
to my advantage and their advantage in the future. And it's a long tail thing. It just keeps going and you don't know when that license is going to come in. It's not like you put out your record and two years later, it's done. No, it could get licensed like seven, eight, nine years down the road, depending on what the style of music is that you create. That's so true. It is a, it's a long tail strategy. And I do want to speak to your point about your music being ready because I certainly get plenty of people just submitting stuff to me for the radio station. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a radio station and a podcast. It's not broadcast television, but I'm still extremely picky about the quality and it's got to be radio quality. And I get tons of people submitting stuff that is clearly not ready. Right. And so I just don't want artists to be wasting their money submitting to licensing opportunities through music x-ray or sonic bids or something right when that is not ever going to happen because the quality of their music is not there you know make sure that somebody has reviewed it and said yes this is quality that licensing opportunities are going to accept yeah absolutely and i would say too i'm not going to speak to or against any kind of services regarding licensing but i would I would say be wary of things that charge you to submit for licensing because that's not really the way the business is being done. It's like um, most people should be offering to pay you a percentage of what they make for you if they license something for you, not charging you to license their music. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I'm just saying it's, I would just tell young and developing artists and people that haven't really gotten into that arena yet to just be wary. There's a lot of opportunities out there that want to charge you money that are not necessarily how the business is being done. That's all I'm going to say about it. (laughs) I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, sometimes maybe to get in with a library that then is able to, you know, go out and have the relationships. Right. And there are to, some people that do make money with some of these services. I'm not saying that licenses never happen. I'm just saying that's not the typical model of how things are being done in the, in the license. Right. It really yeah. is about working in relationships is what you need to do right. to get your licensing to conferences, pass. conferences. That's all I'm going to say about that. Ah, Meet people in okay. person because yes. you're much more likely to get through to them than just sending cold contacts. For sure. So what have you found to be the best way to connect with your fans, um, either in person or online? You know, do you think it's your newsletter, your, um, you know, social media? I think it's definitely, it has to be a cocktail. I know that's funny, but it's, it's a combination. Having a regular newsletter is extremely important because you're building ongoing trust and sharing stories and information and, and kind of it's a two-way conversation if people want it to be. Obviously, social media, you have to have a presence there. I'd say Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram would be the ones. YouTube, of course, as well. I think that's actually my weak link. It's probably why I left it off the list here. Um, but also reaching out and finding engaging new fans by by reaching out to blogs. And I'm not even saying like big blogs because a lot of them are too inundated to fit in a lot of indie people. But just finding finding little opportunities and smaller blogs that all have a little readership and offering something of value to them, whether it's a free download, Hey, here's a free download for your readers or whatever. Instead of being about me, my, my, like listen to my music, review my music. No, what can you do for them? You always need to ask yourself, um, what's in it for them? Like, how can I offer value to people that I'm trying to partner with? Yeah, I agree for sure. You always have to approach it on how you can help them. 
And also I think smaller blogs, they're going to be more likely to like tweet your stuff out, put it on Facebook, yeah. you know, and also, also podcasts. I think podcasts are a great way to get your music out there. Absolutely. And they're going to be very, you know, hungry for listeners. So they're going to be sending out a lot of tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram and everything that's only going to help you. Right. Absolutely. That's a great point. So you mentioned earlier when you first started in the music business that, you know, people told you to read different books to help you get started. Do you have one that was really instrumental for you that you can recommend? Yes. Actually, the first book that someone bought for me and gave to me when I was working at Guitar Center, I had this this woman mentor who was a she her daughter was an artist and she had been a manager, momager type for a while, but she came in and brought me Music, Money and Success, of course, the classic Jeffrey and Todd Brabeck book that kind of outlined the model of the business. And then more recently, I read Donald Passman's book because everybody says you need to read this all you need to know about the music <laughs> business. And they are tough books to get through because they're kind of dry. There's a lot of legal kind of stuff, but you have to know what it is that that you're trying that you were at one point trying to emulate as a DIY artist or an indie artist. This is the way the music business worked. The numbers may be a lot bigger in the examples than you ever encounter yourself, but it is understanding where the income comes from and what the purpose of of different things are, whether it's setting up your own record label and publishing and, and things like that. It's really important to know these things. So whenever people want to like take me to coffee or they have a 16 year old kid or whatever. Like I, I say you need to read a book and then get back with me and we'll talk about it because I don't want to start from scratch with somebody like I, we need to be on the same page and know what we're talking about. And I will tell you that nobody has ever called me back to go to coffee because they, oh, because my they gosh, don't really? finish the book. Like, no, if you can't finish the book, I don't have time to have coffee with you. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things mm-hmm. you're not going to be serious about this and this is going to sound mean, but if you're not going to be serious about it and do a little learning on your own. People don't want, they don't want to do it themselves. They want to be handheld. They want someone to tell them it's going to be this and it's going to be that. But the point is you have to take some initiative yourself to learn these things. I think on the personal and artistic side, the artist way was, was kind of a good book to read too, because that's Julia Cameron. Yeah, it's a great book. And that's just a kind of tapping into why it is that you're creating and what it is that you're creating and, and, how to kind of get past some of those roadblocks when you're having self-doubts and things like that. I love that you you won't you won't go to coffee with them unless they read the book. I think that's great. I mean, you've got your time is valuable and you've got a little vetting to do and they're not going to make it as a DIY if they're not willing to read a book. Right, exactly. And <laughs> and these are usually the situations like I said where it's like somebody's somebody's mom that wants me to get together with their kid. And there are certain times that I will sit down with somebody or whatever. But then that's kind of also why I started the coaching business because I had to, I had to put some sort of boundary on like, who can I, who am I going to sit down and share my industry information with and who am I not? And I think if people are going to pay to sit down and talk with you, they're going to be serious about it and they're not going to take advantage of your time. So that for sure, that sounds yeah, a little I mean, harsh, but here I am. This is what I've learned, and this is where I've come from. Because you will constantly, if you start seeking, if you start experiencing some success, you will have everybody come out of the woodwork and want your time, and you can't do mm-hmm. that because you won't be able to move forward yourself. Well, you've invested in your career, and you expect that out of other people if they're serious. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Well, I can't believe it, but we are almost end to, at the end of our time today. Um, it always goes so fast when the person has so much great stuff to share. Well, thanks. For so uh, it's really nice. Chatting of with course. You. 
of course, it's great to, you know, finally put a voice to the face that I've been seeing for a few years now and the music that I've, of course, listened to and promoted. And um, if you can just let people know the easiest way to get in touch with you online and, of course, how to get your free download. Yes. Awesome. Um, so I have a website. It's katielaurel.com and it's K-A-T-E-Y-L-A-U-R-E-L.com. Obviously, I'm on Twitter at Katie Laurel facebook.com slash Katie Laurel. Any of those are great places to just drop me a line. Um, there is a contact page on my website, so you can send me an email there or grab my free download. That is great. awesome. Yes. And her free download is like right there on her website. So you can't miss it. And I just want to thank you so much, Katie. You've had so much great information to share and I know that our listeners will really benefit from it. Thanks again for having me. You are welcome. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson. <laughs>